Welcome to Heartlines, this is Shane and this is episode 72, I hope you're well. Now this season we are talking about beverage and I'm talking with people from different beverage producers and people in the industry around Ireland. Also on Instagram at Heartlines Podcast. And now for this episode I want us to learn more about wine. I'm partial to a glass of wine, now and again. But to further explain about wine, I brought on a winemaker. His name is Brett and he's the co-founder of Wicklow Way Wines. Welcome to the show, Brett. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Yeah. So you're a winemaker. This is, uh, this is uh, again, I drink wine, but I'm, that's why I brought you on. I really want to like delve into, you know, how you got into winemaking. So what, talk about your journey. So uh, like, where, how did you get into like making wine in the first place? Um, my wife, Pamela, and I um, initially started making wine in the early 90s after we visited a friend's house and they had some raspberry wine, which we thought was stunning. Okay. Um, looking back on it, you know, as your palate changes, as your palate, as my palate changes, as things change over the years, you know, it probably would have been pretty low grade now. Yeah. But but we thought it was fab. So we started making it and um, we tried everything, you know, um, every berry, bananas, peaches, plums, pears, mm. if you can make it from anything we did it yeah um and we never bottled i don't know for 25 years we never put one in a bottle we literally drank it from the carboys uh you know and tried different things along the way mm. and then about uh i don't know must have been 2013 or so i started making an enormous amount of elderflower wine which is kind of off brand for us because we don't use water in our wine i'll get to that when we get into that but um yeah i had 40 containers of wine in the house i had a thousand liters of elderflower wine in our house that i'd made in the space of probably a season it was nuts pamela turned to me and said uh maybe we should open up a winery you know like i'm paraphrasing but and i just said that's insane you know like what come on seriously like um so we happened to be sitting at our laptops and mm. we decided to uh just start delving in and we were sitting on opposite sides of the table from one another we realized very quickly that no one had done this before now i don't mean no one had done wine because there are three presently three guys in the country who do very very small amounts of grape wine mm. but no one had done berry wines um there was one guy in the midlands back in the 80s who did it illegally sold it at fest you know the fairs and stuff, you know little outdoor pop-up things but yeah yeah it wasn't legal or anything um and it wasn't from what i understand wasn't particularly good but it, it was there um so we're actually first in which is crazy and i i fully expected that someone would follow in our footsteps but so far no one has a ton of money to start and then you have to have a skill level to get into it okay. and then you have to sell the product you know it's it's you can make wine all day but if you can't sell it's no good to you you know like yeah and considering that we have the highest excise rate in the world and uh they didn't know what license to give us um because no one had done this before uh we had to run through all kinds of hoops and find premises and you know get insurance in place and da 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 yeah yeah um it was really complicated uh, it took us about uh, two years um, while continuing to do sort of um, prototype wines and see what we wanted to do and uh, ran around to all the government bodies and people we needed to talk to and the councils and grants and the, 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 we, you know, um, the councils were all really super helpful, I have to say. So um, that was good. But as you said, like, you know, it's Ireland. We're not known for wine. I know there's a place in North County Dublin, I believe, make wine, if I'm not mistaken. That's David Llewellyn, yeah. There you go. So, like, I mean, yeah. it's it's a it's a, it's a very it's a very niche niche market in Ireland because again, Ireland's not known for the the, the, the grape growing, you know, sunny weather that like maybe South Spain would have or California, you know. Definitely not. So, uh, global warming will get us there sooner than later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say it will. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, England's got a very good wine uh, industry because of the the way the climate is changing in the terroir there you know they've got really good soil and things beneath the soil that are, yeah. are lending themselves to good ones now but anyway but as well as that like i mean like getting into wine like where are you from originally where are you from i am from america um, okay. we left san francisco in 2000 but i've lived in about 20 states so that's not my home that's uh, just the last port of call you know mm. so you're from that kind of area that would be uh, um, synonymous for producing wine yeah yeah um now granted living in san francisco you're not up in the wine country all the time but you know yeah. definitely we definitely would shoot up and check it out um we were too busy i was in audio Pamela was in engineering um she worked for uh, um enron and i worked for uh, an audio i worked for a stagehands union called iopsy we're out there all over the world and uh, we did film and theater and commercials and music and corporates and all kinds of stuff like that so. 
was that like so you're saying it's like it's you need a lot of seed capital like is that that kind of job would be would be a lucrative job to work in so you make good money to be able to invest back into the winery in yeah i mean there's a lot of stainless steel there's a lot of stuff to get um there's i have presses i have you know holding tanks i have yeah you know just to get to pay the rent you know um it it's just ridiculous it's endless and then they try to i don't know they i don't know who they are but you know there there's a license fee and then if that's for selling by cases of six if you want to buy by the bottle we had to get another license for 500 euro to sell by the bottle or by the glass yeah Yeah, it didn't even exist when we started so we we had to kind of find it and fight for it and get it and uh, it's just endless it's endless you know it's uh and where's pamela from is she from wickler herself she is from, she grew up in Malahide, family's okay. from Kilkenny, right. um, so the parents are back down there again, um, but yeah, she's Irish, I'm definitely kind of, not. <laughs> kind of a sweet spot, no, I, like you could, I, I like you could have been, like could have been like, uh, you could be in America a few years and you, your brogue was kind of, kind of, yeah. hybrid, kind of blend, but yeah, I mean like, yeah, so she's kind of, she found a sweet spot in. Newtown, Mount Kennedy, yeah. yeah Newtown, cool. So we live in Enniscary, so we're not far, we're about 17 minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And uh, you were saying, like, um, before we came on, you were saying that, like, it, it's in a kind of area that's, you know, now popular for production of spirits. So it's kind of like, do you feed off that? Or is it is there kind of, is there a bit of, like, camaraderie amongst that? Or are you in your own little bubble sort of thing? Um, both. Um, mm. Because I do wine, uh, Glendalectin and Whiskey Next Door do gin and whiskey. And yeah. Wicklow Wolf do beer. We're, yeah. We have our own particular products. Mm. But um, the camaraderie is great. You know, like uh, just as far as just even being able to go over and say, can I borrow your forklift? You know, uh, how do you, you know, do you have any ideas about this? What do we do? You know, yeah. it's really nice to have people there who, and everybody's cool. You mm. know, I mean, R- Rowdy next door is a great guy. I've known him for about eight years now. And, um, you know, he's a solid man. You know, yeah. I like him. The man, the myth, the legend as he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, so you ended up in Wicklow. So was it, was there a certain like, idea behind why you end up uh, producing Wicklow. I know it's called the Garden County, so, you know. I'm getting, yeah, it's perfect, yeah. <laughs> so is yeah, that yeah. why you end up in Wicklow? Or? Um, no, I mean, we were in Enniscary, and then we, you know, we wanted it to be based here. I mean, even the the label we have has a Sugarloaf Mountain topographical as the label. Yeah. Uh, Monaire's Meadows in Irish. Yeah. Uh, some people think it looks like French, which is no harm, I suppose, in the wine industry. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of really good there's a good spot to be we're kind of in the middle of everything you know people mm. will say do you get food from wexford yeah we get some food from wexford we get some food from lusk we get food from wherever we need to get food from yeah predominantly pat clark in um Stamullen, uh in lusk as well and he's got a beautiful farm he's an incredible guy he's been growing fruit since he's about 12 years old and he's probably about 80 now uh, he's got 70 acres of fruit and and you can eat off the ground out there it's just spotless it's beautifully wrong and and i have a very strict schedule so as of the third of may i brought in my first 500 kilos of strawberries i do 500 kilo pressings every week every wednesday approximately i have to bring in fruit to allow it to sit or break down for four or five days which is very temperature dependent you know if it's cold it takes longer um so basically between now and october i'll probably do about 11 or twelve thousand kilos of fruit um pressed um but it's it's a labor of love because i spend 34 hours to press 500 kilos of fruit it doesn't take 34 hours to press the fruit but it takes me 34 hours from the time i start to the time i leave to do it press it clean up start the fermentation yeah. all the things i need to do you know yeah. so it's it's tough it's i do a, almost a full work week in a day and a half that most people normally do in a full week you know so yeah. and then i still have tours on the weekend and i still have other things to do so tours kind of ramp up between like may and september october is that how it is for you um it's busy in the summer as as you would expect but for whatever reason this is a year-round thing um mm. i'm always shocked even when like this is a an industrial estate okay so yeah it's a nice one as they go i mean some of them are pretty nasty looking but this is a nice one um but people come in and it's a concrete building so it's quite cold uh and it's even cool in the summer like if it's 24 outside it's 18 degrees in the production room you know it's it's like that but if it gets warm it stays warm if it gets cold it stays cold so when people come in in february they can sometimes not always sometimes see their breath you know and and I'll, i'll be standing behind the bar saying okay well this wine is served best at 17 to 18 degrees, but sure, it's 11, it's 11 C in here, you know? If you like the wine, you like it better when you take it home, you know? But people are interested, so they keep coming. 
That's cool. That's cool. Um, also, as well, like you were talking about, you know, being from America, I know, like in America, um, it's not so much as, as common here, you know, like producing your own kind of spirits or beer or wine. That's more mm-hmm. common in America, whereas in Ireland, just well, that's not used for it. Maybe is there is, is that something you, you would have found growing up? You, you make a wine at home and for self consumption instead of just like for markets or whatever? Definitely not. And when I was growing up, I didn't even know you could make wine. I didn't even think about it, to tell you the truth. I mean, yeah. my father was, my stepfather, my dad was called in Vietnam, but my stepfather was in radio. So mm. um, it was a, we had a different sort of thing going on, you know. Yeah. Um, I wasn't until I was in my 20s and I just was like, what? This is amazing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I've only had one go bad. And it was actually here, strangely, after many, many years of making wine. It was, I, I did a gorse wine. And gorse has a lovely sort of pina colada kind of aroma to the flower. And um, it kind of imbues that into the wine, but didn't turn out particularly well. It's about the only thing I've ever made where I kind of went, uh, okay, dump that. Yeah. Um, but uh, something I knew, I definitely was not around it. Um, I only had some friends who did it. And um, that was really it. This was just an amazing thing coming here because we just tried different things, you know. Yeah. And the, the Irish are very open to flavors they also as a, as a nation I, I think ireland is great also because there's some countries have a very strong sweet tooth um so if you go to america if you go to britain if you go to finland uh, typically not always but typically they would appreciate something that was a bit sweeter than what i produce um not always the case um, i'm sure i'm just generalizing but the irish appreciate a bit of acidity and a bit of you know kind of the naturalness of the fruit rather than trying to dress it up and make it taste like something that it's not, um, you know. So, like specifically, the raspberry is about a kilo of raspberries in a bottle. Yeah. You know, I don't want it to be like this uber sweet, you know, kind of cloying, ugh, kind of gross product. You know, I want it to to taste like raspberries. Okay. But I want it to be wine. There's no great. There's no water. Yeah, yeah. There, there is. This is straight up. You know, if I do 500 kilos, I end up with approximately. 420 to 450 liters of strawberry juice which then gets turned into wine with no water added with no grape out so um i don't really need to infuse anything into this you know yeah Yeah, yeah. it is made it is made from um if you look up wine on you know on the web in the dictionary it says wine is made from grapes yes all right um however even the EU will recognize that what I produce is wine. I, the only caveat, because the wine industry, the grape wine industry, sort of created a little niche for themselves, uh, I have to label it as strawberry wine, blackberry wine, or raspberry wine. I can't just call it wine. That's the only legal thing going there, but it is exactly the same process as grape wine, except there's no grape involved. The winemaking process, for someone who, who drinks wine and doesn't know how, how from, like, from, from berry to bottle, how it uh, is produced, Okay. Um, well, from what I do, um, I'll kind of dip into a few things here. Mm. So on the previous Wednesday, I brought in 500 kilos. I allowed it to sit there until Tuesday. No temperature controls. It's called maceration. The fruit breaks down. The juice typically will just leave the flesh of the fruit to a certain extent. And the flesh of the fruit will be floating in its own juices after a couple of days. And it'll continually do that until the time I decide that I want to press the fruit. Then I I have my presses set up. I have two of them. They're called bladder presses, and they have a rubber bladder inside, which expands internally based upon me turning up a control knob every hour, all night, so that the bladder fills with water. So it's not your typical, what people picture as the press that you screw the top down and it presses the fruit out through slats inside. It's not that. The, The juice does come out through slats in a metal um, colander looking kind of big circular uh, barrel, but uh, there's a green net inside, which keeps the flesh of the fruit from squishing out. And there's plastic that you put over the outside so that as the juice gets pushed by the bladder and the bladder then pushes it through the green net, which then pushes through the grill, which then allows the plastic to stop the juice from shooting out into the room. And it forces it out through a little hole in the front. So it's just collected in buckets and I, I keep dumping it that way, or or uh, sometimes I'll pump it if I, I have the opportunity. Mm. That takes four or five days for maceration. Then pressing takes me overnight. Then I have to start the fermentation, which takes upward of uh, five to seven days. Right At that point, once fermentation is 
uh, firmly um, once I get the yeast and, and things sorted, um, uh, fermentation is underway, um, and it's very quiet. And then it goes absolutely nuts over the course of the week. A uh, lot of carbon dioxide. Um, the temperature of the vat rises. So even though the room might be 18 degrees and the juice was previously 18 degrees, it might get up to about 25, 26 mm -hmm. degrees. Ideally, I'd like it to be a little lower than that, but because I'm not using temperature controls, it is what it is. I, I, I do the best I can. Uh, you don't want it to go to the 30s. Uh, if you can help it, uh, you, can, you can very commonly get off aromas and flavors because it's like the wine has cooked a little bit. So that's why a lot of people would use temperature controls. Um, once fermentation is ended, uh, after five, six, seven days, it is wine, but you need time for it to mature. Uh, you need time for it to settle down. All right. So what happens over the course of once I determine that it's done, I lock it down and I leave it alone for a week. Okay. Now at this point I went from, I do all my maceration, my fruit breaking down in four, 320 liter tanks, um, which become two tanks. So I end up with two full tanks of liquid and that's 500 kilos. And then when I get another 500 kilos of fruit the following week, that becomes another two tanks. Those four tanks then, which are now the equivalent of approximately 900 liters of, of liquid of wine will go into one vat, but they need to settle down both of them for a week. Um, so the stuff at the bottom would be like yeast cells, fruit particles, anything that made it through the pressing, the fruit cells um, are minor. I don't allow much in uh, the yeast cells are, they could potentially be active if they came in contact with sugar again. But right now, due to the fact that I've added a little bit of sulfite to the, to the mix and the fact that there's no sugar in there anymore, the yeast cells have nothing to do. So they just fall out. The stuff at the bottom is known as the lees, the L E E S. Okay. After a week, I get out my pump and hoses and I get prepared to transfer all the wine off of the lees. I want to leave the lees behind. I get the pump out. I have the hose in one hand and I, I, I want to put it about a foot into the liquid. I don't want to dip into the stuff at the bottom. Uh, just prior to doing this, the night before, I'm kind of stepping back and I, I take a bucket of wine, roughly two thirds of a bucket out of one of the vats and I blend clay into it. Clay is a clarification agent. Okay, it's bentonite clay. It's the finest clay in the world that I know of. I'm sure there might be something else, but for wine anyway. Um, and I stir it into the wine and I leave it overnight uh, and I lock the lid down. Um, and I stir it up a good few times beforehand and then I stir it up a good few times when I get in in the morning. And then I dump that into a fresh 1100 liter vessel. That's where all the four 320 tanks are going to go into, right? So that goes in first. And then I attach the hose from the pump to the bottom of that tank and clamp it on which goes to the pump, which goes to me with the open-ended hose on the other end. I stick that in about a foot, controller in hand, and there's a rotary dial on the controller from zero to 10 and a push button so I can send the wine to or back. Hold it in about a foot, whack it up to 10, send all the wine into the big vat. Now, as I do that, the clay gets agitated in and uh, over the course of a week, the clay will seek out its uh, its anything floating in the wine. Um, I don't mean it's not on a mission, but it's, it's negatively charged. The stuff floating in there is positively charged. They just kind of connect up and fall, they fall out. So it's kind yeah. of a filter. Yeah. It's not a filter. I have yeah. a filter. I use, I use five grades of filtration, which is insane, but I do. Once that occurs and all the wine is out, anything left at the bottom, I just simply transfer into carboys, 23 liter carboys, and I allow it to settle out. So it goes in looking like mud because it's just gunk. Yeah. And in about a week or less, I have maybe 10 liters of wine sitting on top in the meantime uh so i clean those four tanks out i lock down the big tank i leave that for a week and then i do the same thing with that tank a week later mm. i want to take it off of the clay and i want to get it out of the production room so i have a separate room for production and i have a separate room for for maturation of the wine that's the main hall so the 1100 liter tank to an 1100 liter tank, leaving the clay behind. And then I do the same thing with that stuff at the bottom again. I put it into a small container. I get more wine, more more drinkable stuff, more trend. I can, whatever I want to do with that. Then the wine stays there for, oh, I, actually, pardon me. If it's blackberry and raspberry, I oak it. Typically, oaking entails putting wine into a barrel. Yeah. The way I describe it to people on the tour is I don't put the wine into the barrel. I put the barrel into the wine because unlike whiskey okay. in this country, I'm, a, I'm able to use oak chips. Okay. Okay. So there are all kinds of oak chips. There's American oak, there's French oak, there's Japanese oak, there's oak wherever you want to get it from. And then depending on how they toast the oak, 
you end up with a darker or lighter or whatever type of uh, color and it affects the aroma and flavor of that oak. As soon as the wine goes from the production room to the, to the maturation space, I infuse a bag of oak chips over two kilos, maybe almost even two and a half kilos of a 50-50 blend of a heavy toast and a medium toast. And I float it in there and I lock the tank down for approximately 15, 16 days for the blackberry and up to almost 20 for the raspberry. I had no idea about how long to do that for. It's easy to find on the web how much oak to use per liter. That's simple. But then the other stuff is subjective, right? How long do you leave it in there for? Nobody tells you that. Mm. You know, that's completely up to you, to me, whoever's making the wine, right? So I had to figure out very quickly what, how long to leave it in. Otherwise, I could over oak it or under oak yeah. it or whatever. So every day for about two weeks, I went up to the tasting valve and I'm like, no, 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 no. And then eventually about two weeks in, I'm like, oh, that's getting good. You know, I gave it a swirl. I popped the lid. I gave it a swirl. I kind of made sure it was all mixed up properly because I didn't want a little pocket of aroma to be in there that I was getting. Yeah. And then I came back the next day and I was like, spot on, right? So then I pull the oak chips out, I put them into a, a tray and I bring them home. And if it's the right season, uh, I bring them home and my wife grows mushrooms on them. Uh, mushrooms love wood. Um, they like paper products. Mm. So they'll eat our filters, they'll eat our wood chips, you know, gets composted in some way. Once a month or so, go and just have a little taste, look at it, smell it, see how it's going. If it's not going well, which it always has. But if I, if I had any doubt anyway, I would bring it to the laboratory and give a little pH test and see is the pH it's where it should yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, acidity and pH are two completely different things. pH is um, going to be a logarithmic scale. So every point, let, let's imagine it was 3.1 pH. If it started to rise, if I noticed a rise over a few months, I would be very um, worried if it was rising a lot. Um so it's like 10 times its predecessor in numbers, right? So every number is is 10 times the previous. Uh, the only way to combat pH rise is to use sulfites. And um, if you use sulfites, well, first of all, they're not the greatest things in the world. They're not terribly bad either, but some people will complain of headaches from sulfites. The primary reason I don't like sulfites is that they bleach wine. So the less I can use, the better. I just want to use enough sulfites to protect the wine and after that. Anyway, once I make it through about 10 or 11 months, Strawberry, I could do probably nine. Uh, I typically try not to. I, I don't have to worry about it. If I have enough wine, if I'm not under pressure to bottle it or something, yeah. I'll leave it longer. But say nine to 12 months for each of the wines. And after that, uh, my daughter or my son or whoever happens, it's just been those two for the last eight years. We do a bottling session. So I have to filter the wine. Uh, I have to test the wine, uh, pH, sulfites, acidity. Then I have to go and make sure that if there are any adjustments needed made, I do that. And then I filter the wine. I actually have to sweeten the wine as well. Many grape wines use sugar to balance things, right? Mm -hmm. If they need to. Not all. Some do. You'll, you'll, there are plenty of wines out there that are sweet. Um, or they'll just stop their fermentation early so there's sugar, natural sugar left behind from the grapes. And they, their, their challenge is to keep their alcohol content at a reasonable level. Sometimes it'll be very, very high. Uh, so it's good for them because they can actually stop it at about 14%, 14.5% and leave behind some residual sugar. They don't have to do anything to it. I don't have that option here. Um, berries in Ireland, due to the fact that we don't have a lot of sun, yeah. uh, are not as sweet as, say, Spanish strawberries or some other country where there's a lot of sun. Now, I don't want to bring in Spanish strawberries because it, it's not an Irish wine then, in my opinion. You, yeah, know? you want local, yeah, yeah. But... I want local, and I, mm. I for a lot of reasons, for flavor, for uh, transport, for you know the environment, for carbon yeah. footprints, all that kind of stuff. Um, I have to, at this point, draw off about a, a small 320-liter tank, maybe two-thirds full with wine from the tank I'm about to filter, and I blend in a very specific amount of sugar based on how many liters are in the actual large tank that I'm about to blend, okay? Based on a per liter basis, I add in a very a specific amount of organic sugar, and then I make sure that I blend it all in until there's no there are no crystals left. And I basically pass it back and forth between the, the main tank and the small tank until the crystals are gone, and now that tank is completely sweetened to taste, all right? Yeah. So if you're thinking strawberry, blackberry, and raspberry are going to be dessert wines, they're not, okay? okay? Strawberry is an off-dry wine. Blackberry is more like Malbec body, kind of lighter. It's got sweetness, but it's uh, it's a subtle, it's a balancing act between okay. acidity and and sweetness. Yeah, raspberry is the sweetest of the three because raspberries are so tart. I have to sweeten that 
almost four times as sweet as the strawberry. When Pamela and I, I shouldn't say I, Pamela and I decided all these things. This was a yeah. very joint joint effort. Mm. Um, uh, when I reduced the, when I first made the raspberry wine, I added less sugar than I, I do now by about 10 grams per liter. And people liked it, but they'd be on the tour upstairs and they'd be tasting, they kind of going, you know, squinting a little bit out of one eye. And I, it looked like you were sucking a lemon, you know? It's like, you, do you like the wine? Oh yeah, it's great. And like, you don't look like you like yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So once I tweaked, once we got the sugar content tweaked a bit, it, it really, it won silver and blossom heron, you know, blackberries won gold, nice. uh, raspberry or strawberries won bronze twice now. Um, we're trying, we, we've already put it in this year again to see if we can get another one out of that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, that's where I had the sugar. So the sugar gets blended in and then I have to filter. It's really, really long. Do, so do you, then yeah, what, do, sorry, go ahead. Do you think, do you think that like, there's probably not as much a uh, understanding of wine because it's, it, as you say, it's a long process compared to maybe making beer or other spirits. So mm-hmm. you have to really commit to the whole process and it's very like structured. You have to be like, you have to watch it all the time. You know, like, f- like, as you said, I was asking from the start where you get your raw materials to actually bottling, like how, like, what's the time of time frame we're talking like, you know, for bottling all the way. Definitely, uh, a year. And yeah. like out of a batch, like if you are, if it goes through all the processes and it passes your tests, how many would you bottle out of a year? Like if you're producing a batch. So on this day, when I blend the wine, get the, get it sweetened, then I filter it. I do four grades of filtration. I'm going to answer your question once I say this. Go for it. Yeah, good. Four grades of filtration. Now, every grade of filtration utilizes 20 filters. Like mm. they're these paper, kind of paper, cardboardy type filters. Mm. So they go into a press squashed together the wine gets attached from the tank to the pre- to the filter from the filter to an empty tank yeah so i come through that filter the first 20 filters are my rough grade ideally if it goes well 30 to 35 minutes to transfer from tank through the filters to the other tank and I, then i have to decide once that's done okay now i have to swap the input for the output turn everything off take out those 20 filters put in a finer grade of filtration come back to, for the second one finer for the third finer for the fourth i typically will say that it takes four and a half to six hours just sit there with the machine watching netflix waiting for the thing to do its job yeah hoping things go well all right sometimes it takes me four and a half to six hours sometimes it takes me 10 to 12 hours it shouldn't but it does um it's my most hated part of the job i I literally can, and hate is a big word, but I, I hate it. I abhor it. It's, it's terrible. But once I do this, the wine is really beautifully clarified. Okay. Mm. Now, the, what was your question that I was going to get to as a part, product of this? Um, the question so, was the, 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 oh yeah. So how much would you produce? After right. Okay. So now that the wine is uh, filtered, I lock it down for the night. So I've basically say I got in at uh, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, by about two, maybe I've done a few things in the winery and by two, I blended the wine with the sugar and now I've started to filter it. Now it takes me four and a half to six hours. If things are going well, I will bring out all the components of the bottling line. They're all in the production room. They don't live out where they, they stay for the bottling. So I bring out the bottling machine, I bring out the pump, I bring out the hoses, I bring out the, the corker, I bring out the corks, I bring out everything I need. Yeah. The same tank that I blended the sugar in, I flush it out. And I, I sterilize it and I add 30 liters of water because in the morning I'm going to put sterilization fluid in there. And that is going to be the water slash sterilized water that's going to flood the entire bottom line from beginning to end to clean it and make sure that everything's ready and there's no bacterial contamination and everything's cool. Then we flush that out. We flush it out with fresh water. We break all the seals. We let all that water out, reconnect it and bring, start bringing the wine in. It, now, here's the question. Here's the answer. So right, go, go, go. In five hours, Celine and I can do about 1,250 to 1,300 bottles from one tank. The one, if you do the math, it's pretty simple. 900 yeah. liters at 0.75, right? You end up with uh, about 1,250 bottles. It varies depending on what I got from the yield of the juice. Yeah. Right. But that's a pretty good, I'd say 1,250 is a safe number. Um, and to get five or to get that done in five hours is very good. To turn that into a finished product, 168 bottles, 143 bottles, 120 bottles, 80 bottles, you know, it's like that. Yeah. Um, to take that all and turn it into a finished product where it's got labels and shrinks and awards and batch codes and bottle numbers in boxes, on a pallet, ready to rock, takes about 40 hours. Mm. 
not only is it a full year of work, but then to take one tank of wine, if you include the day of bottling of eight hours, and then you add on the 40 hours, you got another 48 hours of time plus the 34 hours I spent in the winery to actually create it in the first place and all the time in between. It's a, it's a, it's a long time. Yeah. And you have to think, you have to be able to be a, I don't want to say I'm a critical thinker, but I need to think ahead mm. at least a year. Always. Yeah, yeah. I always have to project and make sure the fruit's there and I'm going to get it and everything's yeah. cool, you know, like that. So yeah. patient play, you're patient, man, bro. Patient, man. Oh, stop. I mean, I, sometimes, sometimes I wonder why, you know, why did I decide to do this? But I like it, you know, I like you, it. You definitely have to have a passion. I mean, like out of all that winemaking process, you know, that just shows, that's why I bring guests like yourself on i had a guy from a brewery on i had a gin distillery it's that kind of dedication to that commitment you know you need to put in to get that quality otherwise why would you do it if you're not going to try to give the best version of you know your product you know what i mean so that's it it's really and also as well when someone drinks your wine they'll go the nice process i mean into it you know there's a lot of blood sweat and tears that go into it to get that bottle to that's exactly what happens that's yeah. exactly when people do the tour it usually happens walking up the stairs to the tasting area yeah and some, one of them will turn to me and say oh my god i didn't realize there was so much to do you know yeah, like, yeah. this is i get the buzz off the people you know yes. if i if i if i was just making wine and i was down here all day by myself making wine because i don't have staff this is a, mm. a solo project for the most part my daughter is my general manager if i didn't have the people to feed off of coming on the tours i don't know that i'd be hanging with it i love it yeah but but i wouldn't be doing it commercially I, i'd probably just be doing it like i used to for fun and uh you know general that. consumption yeah 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 because yeah, it's it's great to have people people are showing up at the door like my daughter's an avid tiktoker right okay so she does great videos her videos some of them you know are hitting 500 six seven hundred thousand hits in a couple of days cool she likes she loves doing it yeah. but the knock-on effect is that people are pouring in the door now right so I, at first, I was like, would you get off your phone and stop taking those videos? You're driving me crazy. Just work. Let's work, you know? Yeah. And then I realized that she was actually bringing in a lot of business, you know? Mm. They come in, and it also also changed the demographic. You know, TikTok is a much younger vibe. Yeah, it is. So, And a lot of younger people are looking for their product. Like, I'm, I'm going to be 59 this month, right? People my age, we all grew up on beer and wine and spirits and blah, 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 and that's what we drank, right? Yeah. The younger crowd are looking for their drink. They're looking for their thing that they like, you know, and uh, so there's a lot of them coming in that are really keen and 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 wide open, and they're also looking for things that are sustainable, that are lower alcohol, that are hint of health consciousness about it because you know it's natural and it's it's great, it's great. But it's not like it's not like your wine is like wine is like is aimed at a certain demographic per se. Like like if you wanted to make a wine for the Gen Zs now, that would take another year. Would you think of doing that or would would there be a wine that would fit into that demographic versus someone of your age or my age, for example? Um I think it's just the fact that it's made from non grapes mm. uh is the thing that sort of gives it that extra sort of huh? Yeah. You know? yeah. You got a lot of people who are just for even the sommeliers, the our big challenge at first was to have the sommeliers uh, kind of take it on board and say, oh, yeah, okay, this is because all the chefs, all the sommeliers, they'd all tried homemade wine before. Yeah. Right. Um, 99% of the homemade wines out there are pretty dire. And even if they're good, they're just about good. You know, mm. they're, they're made with water, uh, maybe two thirds water, infused berries, sugar, yeast, to make wine. They could be fine. We did it for years. Or use grape juice. Grape juice is cheap. Grape juice, grapes come 50 at a, at a whack. You know, you cut a vine and you get 50 grapes on it. Berries yeah. are handpicked one by one, yeah. right? So they're very expensive as well. Um, our first restaurant right out of the box, as soon as we uh, started making wine, was Chapter One in Dublin, right? So nice. two-star Michelin restaurant. At the time it was yeah. one, but still. I'm not uh, being which, there, yeah. Okay, I've been my friend. Uh, my friend's a head chef in uh, Glover's Alley. Uh, his name is Andy McFadden. Uh, have you been up there, Glover's Alley? No, 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 no. It's lovely because that's a, a very like it's a very bespoke experience, a Michelin experience, you know. Yeah, and it sets a very high bar because what happened from that was then Ashford Castle, the Dare Manor, all the nice. sort of yummy mummy shops like Avoca and Fallon and Burn, and all the better, you know. We're not in the supermarkets because it's not the right place for us. Okay. We're in, we're in independent retailers. If it's not in your independent retailer, just ask them if they can get it. 
Yeah. You know, uh, we, we can also send it online. We have the ability to now sell by the bottle online as well. We can only sell by cases of six before, which is a bit of a bummer, but now we can. So, you know, the foodie thing is good because all, all the chefs now have a product that they can pair with their food yeah. that's Irish. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. All right. They previously, you, they go to all this trouble to have all this beautiful Irish produce on the plate. You'd have a seven course menu. Ooh, yum, yum, yum. And what did you have to drink it with? New Zealand, French, Spanish, you know, Italian wine, whatever yeah. it was. Pair, like say the say of a salmon starter, they yeah. might have strawberry wine with the salmon starter. Strawberry wine is gorgeous with seafoody stuff, mussels, lobster, paella, mm. mild cheeses, things like that. blackberry wine. So it might be strawberry wine as a starter, blackberry wine with a steak. I don't eat meat, so I'm just talking for the general population here. And a couple of more courses, and then raspberry wine is particularly beautiful with um, chocolate. So say a chocolate dessert with your raspberry wine. It's the sweetest of the three, even though I said it's not a dessert wine. Dessert wine started 60 grams per liter and the raspberry is 55. So, you know, it's on the verge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, the chefs really can appreciate it now. And even Adair Manor made a, a little jelly out of the raspberry wine. So you'd get your meal and then there was like a little amuse-bouche or something in there mm. in the way. A little plate came out with this little teeny sliver of raspberry wine jelly and i was like that's kind of cool yeah you know i like that so we think about like you know like one of my friends i work with like she's big into wine she's always loved wine like regards like you drinking your wine would you suggest any glasses to recommend drinking with it or is it doesn't make a difference type of glass you drink your wine um i mean she typical wine glass i don't know uh style of wine glass i don't know a, a little bit of sort of curvature you want the kind of, I suppose it helps to have a bit of the vapor. If you want to call it vapor, it's not like whiskey or something like that, but a, a bit of that aromatic to hang around a little bit in there. You don't need it to be a wide open glass. Yeah, yeah. Not super fussy. I mean, glass is a very, once again, uh, using the word subjective, a very subjective experience. I mean, I like drinking out of a nice glass. It feels good on the mouth. Uh, you know, if you get a Riedel glass or one of those things, you don't have to. I mean, the, the glasses I use up in the tasting room, you can get an Ikea. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they look nice. They work well. They're strong. They mm. hold up. You need them to be, you know, you got a lot of people coming in, doing a lot of things, doing some drinking, you know, so yeah. you got to be careful, but, uh, yeah, not, not particularly fussy. Yeah. And regards like, you know, your wines, do you, uh, do you recommend your wines to be chilled or room temperature or how, how strawberry? Absolutely chilled. Okay. Um, it says on the bottle 68 C as like a grape or uh, like say a grape white. Okay. Mm. I actually like it really even colder than that to start with. Yeah. But the problem with chilling wines is that you reduce the aromas and flavors. They get squashed by the chilling, right? Yeah. So strawberry comes out of the fridge. If I can get it down to two, I'm delighted. But I like it at around two to four, even though it's a six to eight. And then if I'm sitting on the couch, got the glass in hand, you know, watching a film and it's like, oh yeah, there it starts to creep out. And I'm like, oh, that's gorgeous, man. You know, like, and it's like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, you get like, a, you get over 20 minutes of just flavor things happening and aroma things happening. Blackberry and, and raspberry have a bit more acidity and stuff going on. So I don't say on the bottle to chill those. I say 17 to 18 degrees, okay. like a like an ambient temperature. Yeah, yeah. Everyone likes to do what they like to do, right? So if mm -hmm. you like to chill your wines, I, I don't tell people not to. I used to, but I don't. Um, I was like, what I do tell them is if you want to chill that, be aware of what's going to happen when you do that. Because the acidity is there, especially in the raspberry, if you chill it, the acidity is like the elephant in the room. It sits there. I haven't changed. I'm yeah. still the elephant in the room. And everything else around it kind of goes and gets squashed down. Yeah. And you taste it. And so you get hit by the acidity, but you lose all of the other stuff. Mm. So I just say, look, if you like it cold, start that way. But give it enough time to allow it to sort of warm up a little bit. So you can kind of appreciate the aromas and flavors. That's right. Yeah, that's that's cool. yeah, that's a good question as well. Because I I was asking her for some thoughts because she's man to wine. Like I mean, I I typically go for a red wine because I just love the fact that well, it just can be ambient temperature. It doesn't have to be <laughs> fridge. It's not that I want to drink it in a field. I'm just saying, you know, it's just the fact that you can actually you don't have to think about chilling it over chilling it. it just it's room temperature ambient, and you feel like, and it's nice got nice texture as well. Whereas yes. white wine, it has this more acidity, whereas I like the look texture of a red wine, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Again, um, as far as different types as well. So, you know, yeah. That's true. Um, while you're on the subject of the reds, mm. the, and, I, and we mentioned the oaking already, the, yeah. the big thing with the oak chips for me is, is that um, barrels are big and they're bulky and they're heavy mm. and they take up a lot of space. 
you also get lost because they weep and they do, you know, whiskey would lose up to 5% a year, potentially in a barrel just due to evaporation and things. The angel share, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the oaking process using the wood chips is a really beautiful thing for me because I, I'm finding a lot of wines are coming in from, let's say, Europe, highly oaked. Uh, you know, and in the case of Riacas, Cab Savs, all the sort of bigger, bolder sort of oaky wines, that's fully appropriate. Even even wines that are lighter bodied and kind of lower down the food chain as far as the oaking process go are coming in. And all I can smell is American oak. I'm getting very little of the wine itself. So the, the oak chips allow me to tailor the wine. And one of the things that I ask people to notice when they're in the production room and we're, we're, we're seeing how the wine is made, I pass around a jar of oak chips and I say, just smell that. Yeah. I want it, I want I want people to know what does it smell like when you go upstairs and you put that glass to your nose because it's hard to tell otherwise if you haven't smelled that on its own I, I want them to realize that okay you smell that but what else do you smell I kind of would say I don't want to bury the berries so to speak you know I don't want to I don't right uh, I want yeah. I want you to I want it to be present um, and it's a nice way to be able to pull it early and say okay there we go right when you talk about oak chips like are you why, why are you sourcing oak chips is it from the states or from europe or? um i'm sure being american oak i'm sure they originated there but um i actually get them from a belgian supplier so i've never mm. really pursued the uh the food chain sort of i, I don't know yeah um if i want to swap them tomorrow as well that, that's a beautiful part of i can yeah they don't take up much room and i can easily just try something new barrels only get about seven uses in whiskey world yeah before they're depleted of their tannins mm. i kind of thought that out loud once and was like wait a minute that's 21 years in whiskey world you know mm. you can put seven three-year whiskeys into a barrel but the problem is is that every time you do that every batch of whiskey has less tannin in it right it loses something because the, the wood has lost yeah. some of its right so exactly. by the time we get to the yeah. seventh one uh, and they're not allowed to use wood chips the uh, the uh, Irish whiskey industry won't allow them. They, they're protecting their ISP. They want to make sure that things are done in a very specific way. Thankfully, I suppose I don't have those strictures on me because we don't have a wine industry here, you know, except for me and a few other people, right? Yeah, so. exactly. Yes, your first in, best dress is say. Exactly. But also as well, like you're talking about, like, do you know, like, are they like likely toasted or charred or is it, is it, is it American oak? So it'd be more charred yeah. than anything else. They're charred. Well, I mean, you can get them I mean, I'm sure there's American oak that's uh, very mild. Like mm. the the medium oak that I use versus the heavy, to or to the medium toast versus the heavy toast. Medium toast I used exclusively for four years. Yeah. I ordered more of it on the on the web for my supplier. I ticked the wrong box. I got the heavy toast in. Okay. I was I was really obsessed. I had enough of the medium toast that I I didn't want to risk using the heavy toast by itself. So I did a 50-50 blend. I like the result better than even before, and I stuck with it. So that's what I do now. Yeah, it just was a happy accident. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you, 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 you worked, you worked with it, I guess. Now you're like you went through a really deep uh, process, and I'm sure the, the listeners will appreciate the depth you went into. But regards, like becoming like a winemaker, how would you get into winemaking? Like, is there like some sort of certification you have to do, or is there a, like a world accredited like? Uh, certificate you can get to be a winemaker how does it work college if you want to go take some courses i mean there's a ton of people out there who would probably convince you that you need to do that mm. but you know in this day and age like i was in i was in music for 25 years mm. so music was my profession and and this was my hobby now it's flipped around the other way yeah um you know if you do something long enough and you put you get into it you're gonna be good like yeah, i've been yeah. doing this for 32 years you know yeah. and it's like after a while you just no amount of schooling is going to teach you that like yeah. you know um i did not get schooled nowadays i brought up the music thing because when i was growing up music was difficult uh to find information and music sheets and whatever to learn how to play yeah. nowadays you go on youtube and it's all there like you know yeah. there's five million people doing you know every variety of music every instrument same with wine if you want to learn how to make wine I would recommend go onto YouTube. Now you're not going to learn to make wine commercially on YouTube because okay. no commercial wineries are bothering to put their effort into showing everyone how to do it. I do. <laughs> I do. And when you come on tour here, um, you can definitely find many, many people. Some are terrible. Some are really good to show mm. you how to start making wine and you'll very quickly appreciate what it takes 
also I tell people, I think people notice when they come here, the guys who come in who make wine at home and they're all delighted to walk in the door. They're really excited. You know, they're learning some new stuff. You know, I kind of, unfortunately, many times burst their bubble, not purposely even, but they very quickly realize, oh my God, you don't use any water because they're at home putting berries into water and making wine and they're so happy with their product. And they come in here and think, how do you do that? You know, it's complicated, it's expensive. Um, you know, when there's a kilo of fruit in a bottle and a kilo of blackberries in a even a little will cost you twelve to sixteen euro. Yeah. And I've got a and then you talk add on the fact that excise in Ireland is the highest in the world at three euro twenty per bottle, and then twenty three percent fat makes a bottle of strawberry seven fifty in tax and mm. blackberry and raspberry eight fifty in tax. You can go to Lidl and buy a six euro bottle of wine. Mm, you know now i'm not saying it's a good bottle of wine but if that's your game and you want to go buy a cheap bottle of wine to get drunk or something that's fine keeping in mind that 320 of that and 23 percent that is inclusive in that price so if you get a six-year bottle of wine you're looking at probably four and a quarter in cost in tax so you might be looking at you know 175 in in wine but that's not even true um, you've got the bottle, you've got the shrinks, you've got the labels, the transport, yeah. the store margin, all that stuff has to be accounted for. It's impossible. It's not possible. It is not possible. If you so, want to be artisan and, and kind of like, not just like big box, you need to, yeah, you can, it's going to cost a premium, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want it to, but I don't, I don't have any, there's not, there's not money made in this. This is not a, unfortunately, this is a, a, a lay a passion project you know um yeah. we we're not struggling but we, there, there's certainly never been any money made per se yeah. you know we're not i haven't taken anything home out of it i'm not taking a salary i just i do what i do because mm. i enjoy doing it which makes it a little difficult because if things went suddenly funky on me if some if i lost a big batch or two yeah i could be i could be in trouble you know financially it could be ruinous it's not great but um you just have to work your hardest to make it not happen so but is there like so there's no there's no like safety net for regards you know as i know you're there's not much not, um understanding of wine and you know you know governments or whatever but is there any kind of government support or community funds that you have as a small like um producer we have probably taken in maybe and it's been a long time since we've done it maybe 30 grand in total council money you know over the years there's also minor subsidies like if you go to bloom in the park or something mm. like that and you know you'll pay 1200 for your stand and they might give you something back toward it so you pay them but they give you money it's 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 an oddball situation but yeah you know the the, the places that we don't uh feel particularly looked after in the way things are governed is for instance, this year, Perry, Cider, and Wine, there was legislation written through the EU that said Irish, the Irish government could give a 50% reduction in excise to those three products. Mm. Beer got it about 14 or 15 years ago, a 50% reduction for a certain hectoliter worth of beer. They Up to this point, they can get this reduction. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this is great. We're going to get it. You know, They gave it to Perry and Cider and they gave it to us. Yeah. Even though the legislation is there and it says it in black and white that we are allowed to get it, they kind of went, eh, sure, maybe next time. And I was like, next time could be in when I'm dead. You know, yeah. like I, I have no idea what's going to happen. It would have made a huge difference for us, uh, thousands and thousands of euros every year in just tax money. Yeah. Um, I, I, in that way, I feel extremely supported by the councils. I feel far less supported by the government bodies that regulate those sorts of things. Mm. Um, it's such a small thing. I mean, we're yeah. one of, as you know, as you said, three yeah. or four guys who make wine. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't kill anybody. And yeah. it would also mean that we could be, have a more successful winery so that we can create more jobs and we can do more. And more. You know, when you make it harder on us, it makes it harder for me to bring in people to work. It makes yeah. it harder for lots of reasons, you know? So uh, yeah, I think overall I'm happy with the, the way things work here. Yeah, yeah, and no, I understand. There's obviously, obviously, it's vocational. That's that, that's the word I think. That that's the word I say. You say it's passionate. It's vocational. You really put it all. You put it all on the line there, and you really have to commit to the whole process because it's a long process. You just said, you know. Yeah, like you can make 500 liters of gin in a day, you yeah. know, or a thousand yeah. liters of gin in a day, and yeah. when you make a thousand liters of wine in a in a year, it's it's a big different thing. So. Yeah. Now you were talking about uh, Bloom. I, I, do you have any plans for any, any events in up in Dublin, Wicklow, Wexford, or Kilkenny, or wherever for the summer even? Like, yeah, we are we're doing bloom again 
Nice. Uh, it'll be, we're sure the grandparents of Bloom at this point. We are the one and only wine there. We've been there for, this will be our sixth one, I think. Um, I suppose until another wine pops up, there won't be another one. Uh, Santa Rita was there when we started the first year as a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And once we arrived into the, the fold, they kind of stepped back. Um, uh, I got a kick out of it because um, I saw the guys in their little polo shirts with their Santa Rita logo, you know, and they were waiting in a queue to taste the wines. And they were kind of looking at each other like, what the heck is this? You know, yeah. and then and they didn't see me. And I stood back waiting because I was kind of like, what's what are they going to do? And they tasted it all over to like, it's good, you yeah. know. So I was like, yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. but uh, we're not going to. W- my daughter goes to McCredden down uh, in in Wicklow. Um, they have a f- uh, fair there every month. Mm. We don't do a lot of those. Um, they take a lot of time. They take a lot of time away from the winery. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time. If it's an important one, like uh, Avoca did an event with uh, Ross Lewis from Chapter One. Yeah, uh, six course tasting menu in fern house about a month ago so yeah we definitely got involved in that they he used our wine and paired them with the food so every course you know it recommended it wasn't me it didn't mean everybody was going to drink that but it was sort of like well this is really good with that so you're welcome to drink your grape wines if you want to but and so that was really nice um i like those events because then it opens up people to different experiences yeah and different different irish products you know that's what i like about it that's why why i reached out to you because i I mean as you said, we are only a handful of wineries in Ireland, and it's—I'll definitely get down there if I, if I can when I get a bit of free time to check it out. Because yeah, come on down. Yeah, it's interesting that you like that we're making wine, you know, berry wine in Ireland, you know, because as you said, with the challenges you have for getting kind of any backing, because there's no real yardstick or or play or 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 or, or, or measurements to to measure against, like beer, whiskey, gin is, you know not regulated but it's it's much more they're used to you know investing in these not so much wine in ireland you know so yeah well simon harris was uh very engaging he he didn't drop the ball on me even though i didn't get the the access reduction Mm. he was really good about getting back to me and keeping in touch and get passing it on to the relevant people who were actually dealing with it um so i have to thank him sort of publicly for that he he did do his best but uh, i hope it, it changes uh, you know now we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up very shortly because i've taken enough of your time and i know you're a busy man <laughs> mm-hmm. you are a very busy man um but also as well like you know i really wanted to kind of i know you just talked about you know how um much time you put into what you do but I'd just like to finish off with a kind of like a light and breezy kind of thing, just to get a sense of who you are away from your work. So I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions. Now, they may not be quick fire, but there's a couple of questions coming on now. I might think of some on the fly as well, um, but I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, okay? Yep. So, okay, so when you do get away, what's your favorite holiday destination? Rome. Rome, and why? Um, it's the beautiful decrepitude of it all. Everything is crumbling, but beautiful at the same time. Um, I don't love it when it's like roasting, roasting hot because I kind of melt a bit. But I, I just feel very much at home there. Yeah, I, I, I just look around and everywhere you look, there's just something else to see that's just amazing, you know. Okay, so down in Wicklow or even up in Dublin, uh, what's your favorite local pub? Oh God, that's a good question. Yeah, it okay. is a hard one. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose I literally, I, I wouldn't say it's very touristy, but I mean, just if I want to go and bring someone to a pub, I would go to Johnny Fox's because it's about five kilometers from my house, but it's not really my local. Uh, <laughs> quite frankly, I don't drink that much. That's fine. Okay. Well, you, well, you, you, you make wine, so you probably have some wine, I guess. Okay. Oh, I have, yeah, I have wine. Yeah, I have everything I need. <laughs> actually, to be honest, I, I'll make a confession. I actually never really been to Johnny Fox. I was there once just to check it out, but I've actually been. I know, like, it's very touristic. It's the highest pub in Ireland, is it? Well, they say so. I think there's another one that actually holds that honor. But but anyway, they're they're up there anyway. They're yeah. one of two. One of two. They put on a good spread, let's say. Okay, yeah. so what's your fa- favorite food place locally or, you know, like like restaurant or place you can go and you know 
You're gonna have a good time. Um, I really like to go to Fern House. Um, I like the room. I like the food. It's not. It's not super super. It's not Michelin star. It's it's bistro style. It's. Um, I like to go to Sika and Power Court. I'm very local, so I'm talking okay. literally like yeah. my back garden. Really, yeah. you know, like yeah, it's yeah. living in Enniskerry and having limited time. I'm, I I try. We we try to treat ourselves to something um, high end, I suppose, but yeah. not crazy. Um, I like like or I like tapas, so Cordo mm -hmm. House and Dundrum. You know, if you go kind of down that way, I like like small dishes. I like uh, what the heck is it called? There's a vegan restaurant around the corner from the Westbury in town. Uh, owned, I think it's owned by the guy who was the host on one of those dating shows. You know, those Irish dating shows. You know, when they meet, you know, in the in the hotel in, in Dublin. And yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, is it really? Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. He was serving us, and I was like, "You look familiar to me." And she, yeah. <laughs> he owns it. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you, uh, that's cool. Ahead. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't know that one. That vegan place. See, I'm, the name's not popping in my head, but it's yeah. literally around the corner from the West Coast. So. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll look into that one. Okay, so okay, so as you say, yeah, sometimes when you're making the batch and you got a bit of free time, you might pop on Netflix. What's your favorite TV series or show you're watching? Or you binge on, or one of your one of your one of your all-time hits you love? Shameless, I watched. You, UK uh, or US? US. I just kind of dug it. I don't know. Uh, okay. The US and the UK were almost exactly the same, just with more. Well, I suppose they were both knackery. You know, they were definitely like you know. I love this. Um, obviously, people come in here and make fun of the whole Breaking Bad look of the place because it's all stainless steel and yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that was a big one. But uh, yeah, um, God, there's so many. I I'm, I'm actually at the point with Netflix where I can't find anything I want to watch anymore. Um, no I watch a lot. I like comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically, comedians—they're the rock and rollers of of the twentieth, twenty-first century. You know, they're—they are definitely, you know, Bill Burr, um, Bill. Bill. any of those guys. They just—they really touch me. Uh, they say what needs to be said, and they—they're able to do it in such a way that they can—they can point fingers at, at really soft spots on on social issues and uh, kind of keep it light enough that. It can yeah. be looked at without being, you know, painful, right? You know. Yeah, isn't that it? Isn't it? You're, it's a it's a social commentary, but it's also been able to turn the back on 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 the audience or the people involved. But they're not exactly pointing fingers. They're kind of they're, they're putting they're, they're putting some light on some detail. It could be political, could be something heavy, could be something light. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny. Yeah, and that's it's, that's the hardest thing to do, I think. And Bill Burr does it so well. He's able to come up with like interesting jokes that are just. You're thinking, don't go there, Bill. And Bill goes yeah. there, and he goes heavy, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, he goes very heavy. You know. <laughs> oh God. I seen Bill uh, before um, in Dublin because one of the lads I had on, uh, one of the comedians, Danny O'Brien, was was uh, supporting him, and Bill was like, fire man. Yeah. I love the line about like he's talking about the military. You know the way like guys in the military, you know, American military, but he's talking about like, you know, you know. You know, you get like a, a purple heart, or, or you get like some sort of medal of bravery. He goes, What about the guy who like lands the plane? You know, the guy with the little uh, <laughs> he's just like that guy, or the guy yeah. who fixes the plane. Like, is that guy, is that guy brave? You know what I mean? It's like, true, it's true, it's doesn't it's true. Sense. Uh, okay, so are you a reader? You you must read a bit. What, what's your favorite book? Are you, are, like, are you a, are you a, are you a fiction uh, reader, or are you like more kind of biography, biographical kind of books? I like music biographies or autobiographies. Um, I tend to read a lot of those because uh, having been in music for all these years, um, mm. a whole music space upstairs. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, today, the final day, I've got my wife's cousin's son coming down. He's in a band called Moon Talk, and they're recording an album, but they're using my space to do it because I have 35 mics and 24-channel desk and full PA and drums and da 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 da, -da. So uh, I don't know how that's morphed from talking about what books you like to read but um <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> uh, it's, oh yeah now i know yeah because it's it that's what i'm into so that that would be sort of what i read um i i like um once again i like so even if you looked at things like now he's dead long ago i met him years ago but douglas adams i like hitchhiker's got i like i like comedic stuff i like stuff that makes yeah. me feel I, I just i i don't want to get too wrapped up in dark anymore i used to probably like a lot of that but now i'm like you know there's enough of that in the world i yeah. can turn on the news and see that all day i want to you know have a bit of fun uh, but i want it to be intellectual you know i like, want it to be like, like, not lowbrow humor yeah like satirical like i like like curve i love his yes oh my god stop yeah. 
Brilliant. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. The, the, and if you happen to notice it, I don't know. I took, I know all of his books, many of his books, Mother Night, all these different books, they were all kind of a tweak from a different perspective. So he's got all these characters yeah. that are kind of go from book to book, but it's kind of from this guy's outlook versus. Uh, yeah. So every time he did write, I was like, wow. Eventually I went, yeah. this is amazing. You know? Yeah. It's it's very interesting the way he writes it, and I, I I love it. It's very, I like satire, like I love satire. And, and Terry Pratchett was good at that. There are a lot of good writers who who wrote like that. Who um, I loved, I, I liked Hunter Thompson, but unfortunately he got progressively weirder and weirder as he got older, uh, and just as too drug. I mean, I nothing wrong with drugs, but he 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 wasn't writing well anymore. He was kind of rehashing old stuff. But I liked his outlook on the universe. You know, he was like, yeah. ah, this is crazy stuff. Wild, yeah, yeah. Fear and Loading was just wild. That movie just, just was a trip. It was an it was, trip. It really was. <laughs> and he was in it. He, he actually, he had a uh, little cameo in there. So. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Johnny Depp was passing him in the in the casinos. And oh, he, right, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you aspire, or do you, uh, do you have any, like, mantras or, or, like, any motivational expressions? You just go, I use that every day when, when you're feeling a bit, you know, you need, you need a bit of motivation. First, do you have any things you say to yourself, or you you like you like to say? Just don't stop. You know, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is, is people just give up too easily. You know, yeah. um, and I and I probably did at one point in my life, but now it's just like my my big thing is, is just just keep working. I think working is good for the soul. Yeah, um, I, I like my downtime a lot, mm -hmm. but I don't get much of it. And even when I'm off, I'm kind of like oh, I kind of want to do something. You know, like I don't want to sit around. I'm not a big like beach goer and sit in a yeah. lounge chair and read a book kind of guy because I just get a bit bored and I just want to do something like I'd much rather go out and shoot a game of darts or something anything but sitting and doing nothing is sort of the way I view it so yeah I'd say just just keep going yeah right, a few more favorite wine region and why oh god almighty. outside of Wicklow of course yeah 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 um I think I like Bordeaux um uh, I kind of like what they do I like the 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 way it plays in my mouth i like the the soil and the way that sort of plays on the wine um I, the thing is is there's so many different takes on a wine even in a region france produces something like four billion liters of wine every year one place yeah you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. that means there's a lot of bloody wineries out there doing a lot of different things so uh, even now, there's loads of guys out there who can tell you, oh, it's from you know a specific region. I'm like, holy crap! How in God's name do you do that? Like, yeah. you know, uh, in, I was gonna actually. I kept saying to my wife, well, maybe I'll just go get you know WSET certified. And she's like, why? It's not what you do. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but just cause, just because mm. I should, maybe. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a specific answer to that. I couldn't even tell. If you asked me what's your favorite wine from that region, I'd be like, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, there's so much, I guess. Okay, last word for yourself. Uh, that's the end of our little quick fire. I told you it wasn't a quick fire. It was quite... Yeah, oh, yeah. It's fine. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, you were saying you do lots of tours for people listening in. Um, you're, you're based in Newtown Man Kennedy, yeah. in Wicklow. Uh, just tell people what's, uh, how to... Get in touch with you guys. How to like about like tours wise? What, what, what can they do if they go down and check out your uh, winery? Great. So look at Wicklow Way Wines on the web. Just look it up. Do a Google search. It'll bring you to our website. Uh, there's a booking page. You can just immediately find what you want to do, what day, what yeah. time. There's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Typically three slots. If the time's not available, it's either full or something else is going on. But typically it's the full. Uh, but usually there's slots. Yeah. Um, if people want to do private things, those are different. Uh, they would be typically, uh, uh, they could be on those days, but uh, it's, if it's private, then you're booking up a slot. So you're going to pay for the slot, you know, mm -hmm. rather than, but uh, it's about 45 minutes or less from Dublin center city. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it takes, it says an hour on the website or an hour and 15. I tend to talk too much. The first tour is usually pretty on, first and second tour are typically pretty on time just because i have another tour after mm -hmm. i have an hour and a half in between from tour to tour so i have to also get everybody out and reset the last tour i the, the 5 p.m tour the last whatever the last tour happens to be i tend to oftentimes yabber so i go home and my wife and daughter will be like did you um did you talk for two hours like yeah i didn't, just couldn't help it you know it's kind of what we i want i'm glad you asked the question because mm. tourism is what we're really all about i want to sell wine 
because mm. that's really at the end of the day what it's all about but i want people uh, tourism is a much it's the only way to keep the winery alive yeah i really want people to come down they'll have a, whoever it is listening to this you'll have a great time it's it's mm. uh it's really easy going you know you get to taste the wines with something at, at the end but you get to literally see the whole process and i have never even seen the whole process i've never gone to a winery where i've met the winemaker and seen how they've made their wine you'll literally if you're into making wines you'll appreciate the tour if you've never even thought about how wine is made you'll appreciate the tour it's uh it's fun and it's it's fairly uh, interactive and you'll walk away with a knowledge that you didn't have before couldn't yeah that's exactly that's exactly what, what what's uh you know you know people want to want to hear you know if someone doesn't drink wine you don't want to be like feeling like oh it's a winery i don't know much about wine just go in there with that kind of open mind and, and, and get you learn something you know for the social media savvy uh you're on tiktok what's your tiktok i don't think well, everything is wicklow away so facebook twitter yeah. uh tiktok and insta are all wicklow away wines okay cool 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 lovely yeah so cool um thank you for coming on for, on the show uh Oh, you're welcome. We both like to talk, so we're going to make sure to halfway somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Brett. Cool. And I'll talk to you. No soon, problem, okay? Shane. Talk thanks. To thanks. You. See See you, Brett. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, thanks. And that was Brett from Wicklow Way Wines. Um, again, another, you know, perspective to come in from. You know, I, I said to Brett, and I say to anyone with wine, I drink wine for sure. I like red wine. I like white wine. I like white Simpendale. I might like some rosé if it's gone. But when you hear about the actual process that goes into making wine, that makes you think it a little bit more. And I hope, I hope you've kind of, you know, really got an understanding and really the actual process goes into making wine. And, and I thought it was very fascinating. I hope you found it fascinating as well. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please um, like, share, subscribe. And my name is Shane. This is episode 72. Again, let me know in the comments how, what you think about this episode. Any thoughts, pro review, wherever you listen to the podcast. I just, you know, it's it, these kind of people are people you don't, um, you know, it's it's something that you can you can learn you can learn from. And if you are a wine drinker, if you're not a wine drinker, there's something to learn for everybody. And if again, as Brett said, if, if you are looking to go down, pop down. The he mentioned the times there. You can check out them at Wicklow Way Wines on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook the like and you can find you can also um, follow me as well at heartlands podcast to and thanks for thanks for listening today and uh, hope you have a good day and talk soon bye bye